0: Well, good morning, peace and grace to you, Storehouse McAllen family. I hope that you are doing well this week. If you are new and joining us for our online gathering, I just want to begin by saying welcome. Uh, Man, it is such an honor to have you join us online. My name is Marco. I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. Again, it's an honor to have you here with us. Uh, Man, at the start of our time, I wish to invite you to join me in Psalm 142 this morning. We're going to be looking at the entire psalm. It's about seven verses. And so while you open or load your Bible, I have three quick announcements and updates for you. I'll try to be brief about each one. Uh, The first announcement that I have for you is next Sunday, the 26th, I believe, we're going to be starting a new sermon series in the book of 2 Timothy. Uh, 2 Timothy is written by the Apostle Paul to his spiritual son, Timothy, who is a pastor in Ephesus, and we're titling this sermon series Faithful Grit. We'll be in 2 Timothy for about eight weeks. I'm really looking forward uh, to this study. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy uh, in a way that is encouraging him to persevere in light of the gospel work that is before him in a time that is uncertain and in a time where culture is hostile. And so it seems very applicable to our season right now. So be sure to start reading 2 Timothy. It's in the New Testament, and we're going to start that next week. The second announcement that I have for you is this coming week, we're going to provide you with details and updates concerning the Sunday morning gathering. Uh, Clearly, we are back online, and so we have not made a final decision on whether or not we will gather again in light of uh, the spike in cases here in Hidalgo County for COVID-19. But nevertheless, we're going to give you guys an update via social media, and uh, those of you who are members, you're going to receive an email from me on Tuesday morning. Uh, The third announcement is um, one of the partnerships that that we have here at Storehouse McAllen is with Taylor Christian uh, School in South McAllen. And every year uh, we partner with them for a back-to-school drive. And those things are going to be looking different this year. I want to encourage you to visit our website so that you can learn a little bit more, not just about Taylor Christian School, but so that you can learn about how to get involved, whether it's through donations or volunteering for a back-to-school drive that we're planning in the month of August. On the website, you're going to see contact information and details, whether that's school supplies or dates or deadlines. You're going to find all of that information on our website. So those are all of the announcements that I have for us this morning. I'd love to dive into our time, so I hope you're ready. Once again, we're going to be in Psalm 142. We're looking at verses 1 through 7 this morning. So if you are new, about six weeks ago, we started a sermon series titled, Untangling the Heart, where we have been walking through what the Bible teaches us through the Psalms concerning our emotions. In our time, I have said that our God-designed emotions uh, are good, they are biblical, and that they are important. In fact, our emotions communicate something about what, who, and how we worship. This morning we're going to be landing the plane in this series. I hope you have been encouraged. I hope you have received clarity from the Word of God in our time. Um, This morning we're landing the plane and we're going to examine loneliness. And I think one of the things that I want to say right at the beginning is, I think loneliness is one of those emotions, uh, one of those experiences that we either talk a lot about, and oftentimes when we talk a lot about loneliness, it's usually uh, in the context of social media, um, or we don't talk or share much about our loneliness with anyone for a variety of reasons. And much like guilt and shame, the enemy of loneliness is going to be honesty uh, because honesty requires us to be vulnerable. Uh, honesty requires us to expose what's really going on in the depths of our soul and, and within the condition of our hearts. One of the things that you and I need to just address right at the beginning, one of the things that we simply need to acknowledge is that loneliness is a reality and it has an impact on on everyone at some point for one reason or another. Because of that, I want to briefly look at the effects of loneliness on us. And I want to look at this through three brief categories. I want us to look at the effects that loneliness has on us psychologically, uh, physically, and then finally, practically. And again, I want to be very brief about that, just to give you this 100,000 foot view of the fact that, again, loneliness simply impacts and affects every single one of us. And as we dive into Psalm 142, we're going to see that even if you don't necessarily agree with some of these things, you're going to see that Inevitably, it still affects us. So beginning with uh, how it affects us psychologically, um, according to researcher Brenda Kim of Lab Roots in an article published in 2018, she surveyed 20,000, or Lab Roots surveyed 20,000 adults over the age of 18. 46% of those adults said that they were lonely. Uh, That is, without friendships or without meaningful friendships or really just uh, lonely in the sense of like nobody really knew them. In addition to that, they interviewed and surveyed several single parents in the United States and the study proved that 53% of single parents say that they are lonely even in the midst of having some community, even in the midst of having their children around them. Single parents are lonely. Now, the kind of effect that this has on people psychologically is that there is a stress that can happen from disconnection, and stress from disconnection has proven to be linked to depression, anxiety, and even cardiovascular issues, which then leads us into the effects that loneliness has for us or loneliness has in us physically. According to uh, NeuroCore Counseling, in an article released of February of this year, they uh, concluded that there has been a 13% increase of adults who would say that they are lonely, a 13% increase from 2018. They go on to quote the Cleveland Clinic By saying that loneliness can increase cortisol, which can impair cognitive performance. That is how we concentrate and our ability to focus on things. Impair cognitive performance, compromise our immune system, and then increase cardiovascular health problems such as blood pressure and heart disease. Finally, loneliness affects us practically you don't have to go very far right now to look at how people have been affected by loneliness throughout this season and this pandemic. Whether it's people that you know who for instance, have tested positive for COVID-19, or even family members who have tested positive for COVID-19. Last week, I told you that it seems as if, particularly on social media, when someone has uh, a a positive diagnosis of COVID-19, there's almost a shame culture where that individual is now a leper, and the amount of uh, struggle emotionally that they work through as they are working through getting better COVID-19 leads them to this place of loneliness. I know people who have tested positive, and one of the things that they have shared with me is just how lonely they are because they are isolated from community. They are in quarantine, whether it's in their house or in their apartment. They can't really see anybody. They can't talk to anybody, and they are just lonely. One of the things that you experience is, for instance, if you have a death in your family, even when family and friends come around you to comfort you and in the in the midst of a room being filled with people it still feels lonely several weeks ago, the state of Texas was in quarantine, and uh, one of the things that was um, uh, one of the things that that happened uh, in quarantine was that many introverts realized that they weren 't really Introverts. All of a sudden, they couldn't be around anybody at any point for a given amount of time, and they realized how much they missed friends and their relationships and simply being around people. Yes, the season has been challenging, not just for individuals who are single, not just for individuals who are introverted, but even for families being cooped up in the house for weeks on end. All of a sudden, not only was frustration beginning to take place, but even loneliness in the midst of being around around people began to take effect again you and i need to acknowledge that loneliness is a reality and because of that loneliness can have a severe impact on how we view and walk throughout our life so then that leads us to ask well what does the bible teach us about loneliness Just like we have over the last several weeks, I want to look at three questions that are going to help us get some clarity on loneliness. And those three questions are what does loneliness communicate? How does loneliness motivate? And finally, how does the gospel speak into our loneliness? In answering these questions, here is my main idea. For our time this morning. So before moving on as we dive into Psalm 142, here is my main idea for this sermon that just drapes over the topic or the emotion of loneliness. And that is that loneliness is an invitation to be known by and restored to Jesus Christ. I want to say that one more time, a little bit slower. Loneliness is an invitation to be known by and restored to Jesus Christ. So, once again, we're going to find ourselves in Psalm 142. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. I'm going to read the whole Psalm, and then I'll pray, and we'll dig in. Beginning in verse 1. With my voice, I cry out loud to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord i pour out my complaint before him i tell my trouble before him when my spirit faints within me you know my way in the path where i walk they have hidden a trap for me look to the right and see there is none who takes notice of me no refuge remains to me no one cares for my soul i cry to you O lord i say you are my refuge my portion in the land of the living attend to my cry for i am brought very low deliver me from my persecutors for they are too strong for me bring me out of prison that i may give thanks to your name the righteous will surround me for you will deal bountifully with me let's pray god as we dive into as we dive into our time of worship in your word Lord, my prayer is that you would meet us where we are with your grace. God, I pray that our hearts through your Holy Spirit would be softened to realize and acknowledge that loneliness is a reality. But in addition to that, would you teach us, would you comfort us, would you convict and compel us to see the beauty, to see that loneliness is a gift because it's an invitation to be known by you, to be restored to you through Jesus. Lord, many of my brothers and sisters are experiencing loneliness right now. And while I understand that your word is going to convict us of the condition of our heart, Lord, I pray that you would also comfort us That it simply wouldn't just be read your Bible more, but that it would be um, an encouragement to turn to the Lord Jesus. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who uh, are experiencing loneliness and heartache. God, I pray that you would comfort them in this time and that you would remind them uh, of your promise that you will never leave us that you will never forsake us and that you have called us with an everlasting love because you have kept your faithfulness to us. So God, we thank you for the opportunity, even through technology, to gather and worship and exalt your name this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to begin with the first question, what does loneliness communicate? And I think I'd love to dive right into just being as practical as possible. Uh, and and here, here would be my take. At its root, loneliness communicates separation. Loneliness communicates separation. That is separation from God, separation from others, and this could be for a number of reasons. For instance... Loneliness can or does communicate separation, for instance, because of our sin. Loneliness can be a cause of our sin, where we have sinned against God and others, and as a result, there is a break in our relationships. Briefly, I want you to look at Psalm or listen to Psalm 38 verses 4 and then 10 through 11. And this is what God writes through David, or this is what David says uh, here. He says, for my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. In light of his sin, in light of his iniquity, those who have been closest to him, his friends, his family, are gone. There is a separation because of his sin. Sometimes loneliness is the result, the separation that we feel within loneliness is the result of our sin. And once again, when it came to guilt and shame, we said that the enemy of guilt and shame was honesty. This applies to loneliness as well. We must be honest in an effort to be vulnerable, in an effort to pursue humility, in an effort to actually listen and be transformed by the Spirit of God through His Word. And so I say that because oftentimes when it comes to loneliness, we might agree that there is separation, but we don't necessarily want to take responsibility for our sin. Another reason that loneliness communicates a separation is simply because of the circumstance. Sometimes circumstantially, we are lonely. This could be because of death in the family. Earlier this week, uh, I lost my aunt. This is my mom's sister. They were super close. Um, uh, their mom, my grandmother, was was a single mom. And so, so my mom and my aunt were super close to one another. Uh, they pretty much raised one another, had a, a tremendous friendship with one another. Uh, and when I spoke to my mom earlier this week and we began to talk about how my aunt died, one of the things that my mom said was even though the house was filled with, with family, she said, I just feel lonely. My sister's gone. This could be as a result of the death in the family. This could be because you live alone, right? Like no matter how well you decorate your house or your apartment, at the end of the day, sometimes it just feels lonely because you're the only one in that house or in that apartment, Sometimes it's because you're always on the move. Maybe you travel a great deal or your job requires you to do a bunch of stuff in different places and in different cities. And even though you are around so many different people or you're constantly doing something, just feels and is lonely. Sometimes loneliness is just the result of a circumstance. Number three, loneliness is also the result of us not being known. See, in the garden and throughout our time, especially over the last couple of weeks, we've constantly looked to Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and we're going to briefly do that now. In the garden, Adam and Eve were known by God. But I want you to know this. They weren't just known by God because of proximity. They were known by God intimately. That God had a relationship with Adam and Eve, that they were known by him. However, sin, as sin entered into our world and corrupted us, sin has distorted and separated us from God and one another. Loneliness communicates separation. Here's the truth. Every single one of us has inherited loneliness as a result of the fall. And the reason we know this is true is because each one of us desires to be known. The opposite of loneliness is not proximity and it's not necessarily plurality. The opposite of loneliness is presence. Being present means being made known and being known by others or someone else. Loneliness, again, communicates separation. And so, as a result of that communication, well, how do you and I tend to respond uh, to that? For instance, separation. How do we tend to respond to loneliness? How does, motive, uh, how does loneliness motivate us to respond? As we've looked at all of the other emotions over the last six weeks, we've examined that each one of these emotions is good, it's biblical, and it's important. And each one of these emotions has a way for us to respond to it in a godly manner or an ungodly manner. And so briefly, I want to look at three ungodly ways to which you and I tend to respond to loneliness. Here's the first one, more people. I'm just going to tell you because I love you. The answer to loneliness isn't necessarily being around more people, but that is something many people believe. And it comes out or it manifests itself in several ways. One of those ways is where we begin to idolize friendships, where we place friends and our friendships with those people in a position that is going to fulfill us, but rather it fails us ongoingly because it's a position that Jesus should have. We begin to exalt friends and friendships rather than Jesus. Oftentimes, when it comes to idolizing friendships or relationships, what we tend to do is place um, uh, expectations that we have not communicated to our friends. We begin to place burdens on them that they have no idea about, or we begin to associate, or we begin to, oh, what's the word? We begin to compare our spiritual health to theirs by kind of draining them of their spiritual health. some Christians, and this might be you, idolize friendships. Because friendships are going to be what gives you meaning. Friendships are going to be what gives you value and worth. And the truth is, when friends fail, because they do and they will, oftentimes we respond even in worse ways to loneliness. I'll get to them in just a bit. Another way in which it manifests is in idolizing relationships. This could be spouses that, man, idolize marriage or they idolize one another. But just like friendships, you're going to encounter inconsistencies because you are inevitably going to fail or you will see parents idolize their children. Got to be around the children, got to have the children. Kids have to be. Around because to them the solution to loneliness is more people. One of the second ways in which we respond to loneliness is just sin- sinful behavior, just disobedience to God. Maybe it's because our friends deserted us. Maybe it's because our friends didn't respond to us in the way in which we wanted them to or expected them to, even though they didn't know about it. When it comes to sinful behavior and when it comes to the failure of our friendships and our relationships, sometimes we turn to substance abuse. Sometimes we turn to alcohol and you would say like, man, is alcohol bad? It's a bad thing if you're addicted to it. It's a bad thing if you're drinking to get numb. It's a bad thing if you're trying to suppress what's actually going on. And it doesn't just have to be those things. Sometimes it could be even binge eating, just eating a great amount of food because, of the, because you feel lonely and because of what has happened, and maybe it happened in a way that you didn't like it, you turn to binge eating. Sometimes it's sexual sin because you so badly want to feel somebody You pursue sexual sin and immorality. Sometimes sinful behavior also looks like doing good things, adding more stuff onto your plate, more uh, uh, different kinds of sports activities, more work projects, more things at home, just more, more, more so that I don't have to address the loneliness that I'm experiencing because of friendships, because of lack, or because of my vulnerability, you can fill in the blank. A third way is isolation. Isolation is when we withdraw from God and from people. And what I mean by isolation, I'm going to talk about this later on. There is a difference, I want you to hear me, there's a difference between isolation and solitude. I'm not talking about solitude right now. I'm talking about isolation. Because you know that loneliness is communicating separation and maybe there's a tension or a break or a riff in the relationship. And rather than actually pursuing God and then engaging our relationships or our friendships, what we do is that we withdraw from everyone, including God himself. And as we do that, man, we just isolate ourselves from everything else that's going on. And the truth about isolation is that it can be very harmful and very dangerous. Oftentimes, we isolate ourselves because of some of the unspoken expectations that we put on people. Nobody's followed up with me. Nobody's checked in. Nobody has called me back. And while that might be true, because sometimes it does happen and we're just going to fail one another, what often ends up happening as well is that the individual never asks themselves or never begins to actually check the condition of their heart first. Before addressing their brother or sister's speck, they don't take the log out of their eye. When it comes to each one of these ungodly ways, that we respond to loneliness, I know everyone is going to have either an excuse or a reason as to why they might pursue these responses. But I wish to lovingly challenge you. Loneliness is a gift because it's an invitation to be known by God in Christ. You see, when we look at the way we respond to loneliness, whether it's being around more people, sinful behavior and disobedience, or simply isolation, one of the things that you can learn from those kinds of responses is that they actually affirm the deficiency in our friendships and our relationships. Because the truth is, even the best of friends fail even the best of friends fail to be present. I was speaking with a young lady earlier this week and she began to tell me about um, an argument she had with her best friend. And after the argument, um, one of the encouragements that I left her was to, you know, give it a couple of days and then pursue their friend. And the response to that was, man, I don't know if I should be the one that responds uh, to my best friend. And I don't really know if this relationship or this friendship is actually worth restoring. Um, and uh, and so as a result of that, part of that is because, man, in this one argument that they had, uh, they failed one another. And one of the first things that came to mind was, man, just friends are dropping the ball. And man, not only is that practically true, that's theologically accurate. Yes, we're going to drop the ball. Friendships, when we fail and when we experience some of these things, actually affirm deficiency in our friendships. Going to uh, Psalm 142, if you briefly look at verse 4, this is what David says. Look to the right and see, there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. This is King David who has an abundance of resources, who has a a crazy amount of connections, who knows people that know people. And what he is saying is no one is here for me. No one is around me to actually help me through this. At this point in this Psalm, he's in a cave. There is a deficiency in our friendships and in our relationships, and that is that we fail one another or that we will fail one another. I think it rings louder and it hurts more when we idolize friendships. Not just because idolizing friendships is sinful, but because it's selfish. As we continue, these ungodly ways of responding to loneliness, they actually reveal something about us. They reveal um, or they expose our fragility and our vulnerability, or I should say the lack of vulnerability. That part of the reason we surround ourselves with more people or that we uh, turn to vices or we uh, isolate ourselves is because we don't want to be made vulnerable. All of these keep us from being honest. All of these keep us from being vulnerable. And I want you to listen to verse 3. I'm working my way back up, but listen to verse 3. David says, When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. This is King David, the dude that killed a lion and a bear with his hands right? This is King David who has uh, mighty men, who has a ridiculous army, who has resources, who has connections. And the first thing he's saying, or one of the first things he is saying is, when my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In verse 6, he goes on to say, attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me rather than uh, turning to being around more people or to sinful behavior and vices or isolating himself, one of the things that David is doing is being incredibly vulnerable and honest before God. That he's not pulling himself up by his bootstraps and he is not turning to his manly masculinity. He's not turning to any of that. Instead, in vulnerability, he is turning to the Lord and putting everything on the table When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. The reason we respond, or one of the reasons in which we respond to to loneliness in in one of these three ways, if not others, is because we know that if we're honest, it's going to expose our fragility and our vulnerability. Once again, as we examine these ungodly motivations or ungodly responses, when we look at them and examine them, we see that they reveal our deepest longing to be known by God. I want you look at verses 1 and 2. This is the first thing David does. Remember, I went, I went backwards on this, but I want you to listen to verses 1 and 2. David says, With my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. David says the same thing four times in different ways. In this style of writing, the reason behind that is so that the author would emphasize the cry. Uh, one of the other reasons is so that they would tell you or communicate to you, I am literally crying out to the Lord. I'm not just writing about it poetically. I am literally crying out to the Lord. And I am emphasizing the ache in my heart concerning the loneliness that I am experiencing. David doesn't turn to his friends because he knows that his friends aren't around. David doesn't turn to isolation where he completely withdraws himself from the Lord. He doesn't turn to vices. Instead, what David does is that he turns to the Lord. And as he turns to the Lord, his confidence is knowing that he is known by God. That's why he turns to him. David turns to God because he, is no- he knows that he is known by God. Church loneliness, is, it's not a sickness. It's an invitation to be known. It's an invitation to be reconciled to God through Christ. See, as we continue in Psalm 142, what we're going to see is as David is crying out to the Lord, being incredibly vulnerable before the Lord in a moment of loneliness, we see a change in David's tone. Look at verse 5. I cry to you, O Lord. I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. In verse 4, he just said, no refuge remains to me. But we see in verse 5, This verse 5 is when he's starting to turn it around. Essentially, Psalm 142 is David just... Processing externally. How many of you are external processors? You just got to talk out loud to sort things out and figure things through. That's what David is doing here. He is crying out to the Lord. Literally, he is emphasizing this in his writing. He is talking about what is going on that his friends have left him, and he's saying this out loud. He's externally processing, and then in verse five we see the switch. And when we see this change in David's tone, one of the things that we also see is that the circumstance David is in does not change. He continues, bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me for you will deal bountifully with me. What was it that changed? In David's turning to the Lord, he was reminded that he is known by God. And because he knows that he is known by God, the change in Psalm 142 was a change in his heart, but not a change in the circumstance. You see, the gospel speaks into our loneliness because Jesus is reconciling and restoring sinners to himself through his death and work on the cross. You see, and if even that is not enough, The author of Hebrews said that as God entered into human history, as the man Jesus Christ, he lived in our place, which means that Jesus sympathizes with us. That like you, Jesus did feel lonely and Jesus was lonely. His friends abandoned him when it mattered most. He was neglected by his family. He saw his friend die and he wept. Jesus knows exactly what it feels like to be lonely. He knows exactly what the experience of loneliness is. And yet, and yet, Jesus was without sin. And he goes to a cross for lonely Sinners and dies on their behalf so that we might be reconciled to the Father through Jesus, removing the fence of separation between us so that sinners would be known by God. Not only does Jesus get it. Jesus has done something about it for you. I think that's the beauty of the gospel. It's not just that, hey, Jesus gets it, therefore go and do stuff. What the gospel teaches is, hey, Jesus gets it, he sympathizes, he understands and knows what it feels like and has done something about it for you through his death on the cross. And he is ready to pardon any sinner who turns to him in repentance so that you would receive a new heart and the Spirit of God would reside in you and the promise of God would be what sustains you. That he will never leave you nor forsake you. That you have access 24-7 to God the Father. And in your loneliness, Jesus meets you with His grace and invites you to be known by Him and to be restored to Him. As we close our time, both in this sermon and the series, and I just want to encourage you with three practical applications, I suppose. Two of them are concerning our time this morning in terms of the sermon, and the last one is just a reminder of our series. Here's the first one. You need to know that there is a difference between isolation and silence and solitude. Silence and solitude are spiritual disciplines. Yeah, Jesus himself would often go out and pray on his own away from people, including the disciples. He would do that regularly. Silence and solitude are spiritual disciplines that we intentionally schedule or carve into our walk so that we would be alone with God, praying and meditating over God's word. It's like the psalmist says in Psalm 19, where he says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. That's a a beautiful picture of silence and solitude as it pertains to us meditating on the word of God and us praying to God. Additionally, there is a difference between getting some alone time so that you can decompress. Like, I'm going to be straight up. I'm an introvert. Um, I was not one of those introverts uh, that when we were in quarantine, realized I was not an introvert. That could be very dangerous for me. However, I do recharge emotionally and mentally on my own. Give me a really good book, give me a nice drink, and I will recharge and I'm back and I'm good to go. Uh, There's a difference between isolation and just decompressing. Once again, isolation oftentimes is when we withdraw from God, we withdraw from others, and it is harmful and dangerous because oftentimes in isolation, we tend to or are tempted to pursue self-loathing. And when we pursue self-loathing, oftentimes that can become our identity. And so as Christians, we need to be extremely careful when it comes to silence solitude getting some alone time and isolation some of you blur those two so much as a way of doing whatever it is you want to do or as a way of better yet not taking responsibility for your sin some of you do that so that you would not be held accountable and if You don't want to be held accountable. You got to remember the word accountability is a byproduct of confession of sin. And so if you don't want to be held accountable and you're blurring the lines of silence and solitude and isolation, part of the problem could be that you're not confessing sin, which means you're not being honest, which means you don't want to put vulnerability, you don't want to put your fragility, you don't want to pursue humility, you don't want to put those things on the table, therefore you isolate. There's got to be some practical realities as to why you isolate. And the emotional reality would be the encouragement that, hey, God meets you where you are in your loneliness with his grace and invites you to be known by him, to be restored to him. There is a beauty of grace in that moment. And you need to be careful, you need to be honest, you need to confess that sin. No te hagas, right? Like, don't, don't try to come up with excuses as to why it's acceptable. Number two, um, I, I wrote this on the notes. I just put a community of believers. I want you to listen to Proverbs 20, verse 5. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water. But a man of understanding will draw it out. Here's, here's what the author is saying: right? That our hearts or like deep in a well under all the water, and a really good friend is able to draw our hearts out. In this time, there are a ridiculous amount of studies coming out about the American evangelical Christian church and the disconnectivity Christians are having um, within one another. Let me encourage you. Check up on one another. None of us have an excuse. We all have a phone. We have uh, a cell phone. We have FaceTime. We have Zoom. We have Skype. We have Google Hangouts. uh, We've got phone calls. You could still gather even if it's in small groups. You could even do one. Don't dismiss encouraging one another as long as it is called Today, one of the things I try to do as best as I can is I'll, I'll get a group of people and I'll follow up with them throughout the week. I try to do that every single week, and I followed up with uh, uh, an individual in our church, and their response was, "Your message brings tears to my eyes." You know what I said? Thought I'd check in. How are you doing? that was it. Church, you need to be checking in on one another, especially in this season. Here's a quote uh, that I read to you a couple of weeks ago by uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Here's what he writes. The Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again. When he becomes uncertain and discouraged, for by himself he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother, he needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain, his brother's is sure. Church, you need to be checking in on one another. If we're going to value um, our identity uh, as children of God and how that impacts our gospel family, that we are adopted into the family of God through the work of God, then we need to own that and follow, follow up and check in on one another. Pray with one another. Hear how things are doing. Or hear how things are going. Finally, in this whole series, I hope you've walked away with a couple of things. One of those is that everyone, whether they know Jesus or not, is a worshiper. Our emotions communicate something about who, what, and how we worship. Our emotions are designed to draw us to God. It is His way of beckoning us to Him. The question is, as those emotions come up and are stirred up within us, who do you worship? Christian, as we close this series, I remember getting a question uh, a couple of weeks ago where one of the guys asked me, so when we're done with this, what happens if we experience these emotions after the series is done? Well, this series wasn't designed for you to experience these emotions only in this season. This series was designed for you to begin to learn more about yourself as we examined our emotions through the word of God and how God draws us to himself. Um, And I hope that as we move forward, You're able to identify, you're able to examine and evaluate and then take action when it comes to your emotions because they're not bad. However, Christian, let me, let me just remind you, make sure that you check your heart. I think oftentimes we want to stay in one of two camps. Stoicism, where emotions don't matter and knowledge is everything. Emotionalism, where truth and knowledge are not that Im- not as important, I should say, as emotions. Therefore, we're going to be led by how we feel because how we feel must be truth. The truth is that both of them are wrong. They're incomplete. And so, Christian, check your heart of idols. Idols that may be ruling and reigning over you with Christian undertones and gospel-centered language. Make sure that the one that rules and reigns your heart as you experience a variety of these emotions is the Lord Jesus Christ. So if there are idols that are beckoning you away from Jesus, if there are idols that are competing for the rule and reign of your heart, repent, turn away from them, place your trust in Jesus, be honest before Jesus, cry out to Jesus, do what David says where he says, I pour out my complaint before him, I tell my trouble before him. Fix your eyes on Jesus as you are moving forward and when you experience these, continue to pursue God in Christ And if you don't know Jesus, let me just begin by saying I'm so thankful that you're here with us this morning. And I want you to know that idols, especially and sometimes your emotions, rule and reign over your heart. They rule and reign over your heart because your deepest longing and desire is to be known, is to matter. And the gospel says that Jesus meets us where we are with his grace. Grace is unmerited favor from God toward sinners. And He meets you where you are with His grace and invites you to come to know Him so that you would be known by Him and so that you would be restored. Repenting of your sin means dropping your sin, turning a new direction, and fixing your eyes on Christ. Church, loneliness is an invitation to be known by and to be restored to Jesus Christ. Storehouse McCallan, I love you. I hope you are doing well. And I hope this series of Entangling the Heart has been an encouragement to you in this season. Church family, let's pray. God, as we close our time in this series... Um, This does not mean that how we work through our emotions also comes to an end. God, I pray that throughout this series, you have challenged, comforted, and convicted um, our hearts through your word um, over our sin, Um, that you have challenged us when it has come to where our priorities are in terms of how we respond to our emotions. But Lord, I also pray that you, uh, that, that my brothers and sisters, will have been comforted by you throughout this series, knowing that their emotions matter, knowing that their emotions are good, that you have designed them a certain way. And in doing so, you use our emotions to draw us to yourself. So God, we just we thank you for that. And once again, Lord, loneliness is, is real and it's hard and it's heavy and it's just that lonely. So God, would you cover us with the promises of your word where you tell us that you will never leave us, that you will never forsake us? God, in our loneliness, would you meet us where you're great with your grace and remind us of your presence? Would you remind us that we are known by you and that we have been restored to you through Christ? Lord, the sin that we're holding on to, because that's what makes us vulnerable, that is what you are asking us to be honest about. And so God, I pray for courage to put our sin on the table, to confess our sin and turn away from our sin and fix our eyes on Jesus Lord, this season has been challenging in a number of ways and uh, it doesn't look like it's going to stop being challenging. And so as a result, Lord, may we turn to you just like the, the psalmists turn to you in seasons of uncertainty, in seasons of hostility, in seasons of loneliness. God, may we turn to you to be reminded that we are known by you. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Storehouse McAllen, thank you so much for joining us on our online gathering. Uh, Man, I want to leave you with two things. The first one is uh, giving. Man, giving is our response to the work of God in Christ for us. It actually doesn't start with our wallets. It starts with an act of grace. And so uh, if you have not set up an online account, let me encourage you to do so. You can visit our website and set that up. Um, uh, in addition to that, uh, Storehouse, thank you so much for your generosity during this time. Thank you so much for trusting in Jesus as you give faithfully and sacrificially. Um, from me, thank you so, so much. Um, uh, in addition to that, if you are new and you're just joining us online, we don't want your money. I'm serious. We do not want your money we are just super thankful that you have joined us this morning for worship. The second thing I have for you is comes from uh, the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 16. Paul writes, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Storehouse McAllen, I love you and I miss you. If you're new, I can't wait to meet you. We will see you next week. Amen.